Welcome to another episode of the Cutthroat Soup. Got NBA playoffs, NBA draft last week, dubs take number two. Barry baseball, Giants are streaking, the A's are on top. We also got 49ers camp, or should I say, the infirmary. And Kittle watch is over. All coming up on the Cutthroat Soup Show. So first off, we're going to talk NBA playoffs. It's hot in the West, literally and figuratively, if you live out here in the Bay Area. Uh, we also saw a sweep in the East that could actually change the landscape of the Eastern Conference. We'll talk about that and more, along with the NBA draft as the Warriors come in at number two in the lottery. Then later on in this show, since we are two-thirds cutthroat, as we like to say around here in the Cutthroat Soup Show on the TDT Bay Area Podcast Network, we are down. Shamari Block is on assignment, but we've got special guest Soad Balazi that we'll be talking MLB with later on in the show. Uh, Barry Baseball is fantastic right now, so can't wait to get into that with her. And along in that second part of the show, we'll talk 49ers camp and all the injuries. And we also had Kittle watch end last week as George Kittle signed a monster contract. But we got Andy coming up with me in the first part of this show. Andy, why don't you hit him off with that Twitter? Yo, what's going on? You guys already know what it is. Andy underscore hot takes coming in with the hottest takes daily on the Cutthroat Soup Show on the TDT Network and on Twitter. So check me out. There we go. And of course, you can always find me at Babsports, B-A-B-B-S-P-O-R-T-S. Now, Andy, let's talk maybe a little bit of Lakers first and uh, kind of Lakers Blazers. Seems like the Bay Area has kind of adopted the Blazers in this playoff run since the, we all know the, the Warriors are not in it. So what, what have you seen so far first, uh, through the first four games uh, that we're at now? And we got another game going on uh, as we're recording. But uh, what have you seen so far out of that uh, top of the Western Conference? So, yeah, uh, Lakers-Blazers has definitely been uh, very, very interesting. And, oh, just a quick update. Yes, we are recording while the Lakers-Blazers game four is going on. It is the end of the first, and the Blazers are getting absolutely mollywopped by the Lakers, 43-25. to 25. So we'll keep you guys updated real quick on that game as it goes on. But as far as what I've seen from the Lakers-Blazers alone – I don't like it. I don't like any of it. I don't like any of it from the Lakers. I don't like the fact that it is LeBron and AD, and that is it. We got uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope as their third best player right now with 10 <laughs> points a game. Like, that is not going to win you the championship, guys. And we've been talking about this on my other episodes and that your half-court offense is absolutely terrible. And when LeBron becomes the facilitator, it takes away from his offensive game. And I personally don't think that they're in the best shape when LeBron is necessarily the entire offense facilitator, everything. AD's been playing well. He's at 29 points a game. But it's, it's either one of them is going – they both have to go crazy for the Lakers to win every game, and that's not going to work. And – Damian Lillard has obviously had a great bubbles, but 
at the same time, I'm not liking what I see from the Blazers either. They were my dark horse, and Hassan Whiteside has just been absolutely terrible. And you really need him down low to stop AD, and he has not. Dame has been great, 28 points a game, four assists, four rebounds. CJ's actually picked it up, which is really good for them. He's averaging 26 and two. But Nurkic, I feel like, could be better. Uh, Mello could be better. He's a, he's a solid rotational guy, but this is not going to win you the finals, guys. It's, it's no, really- not at all. And, you know, the Blazers really need that third person to step up and give them some points. Now, we saw uh, in game three, Mello actually was 26 and two. So it was a stat line. So 20 points. If you get that from Mello consistently, then they can actually push this series on further. It sounds like what's going on right now in the game uh, is not looking too good for Portland. And, you know, I said on a radio show that I recorded for this morning that it's going to come down to the others, as we like to call them, because we've got the two-headed monster on both sides of the court, AD, LBJ on one, Dame and CJ on the other. We kind of know that we're going to get some production from them. Um, in game two, LeBron's stat line was 10-6-7. and seven. And now I understand it was a blowout. He played 29, 27 or 29 minutes, but he only scored 10 points. It's kind of, it kind of goes along with what you're saying about his usage when he has to run the offense through him. You know, I honestly think Father Time is looking like it's catching up to him in these playoffs so far because he doesn't have the energy he normally has. And I think that's because his usage is so high because he's having to handle the ball a lot more. And when he, when he starts to get a little tired, he can't dribble like he normally can. He can't get to the rack like he normally can or like we're used to seeing him. So, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe Melo will be that guy. Maybe he won't. Maybe this series will end. Yeah, maybe this series. Yeah. But as far as in this game alone, AD's got 16 points in the first quarter. And Contavious Caldwell-Pope has 10. So, oh, wow. you know, if guys are going to step up like that in the Lakers, the Blazers have absolutely no chance. Absolutely not. And especially when Damian Lillard has five points. That, yeah, that's not going to do it. That not happen. Nurk, uh, Nurkic is going great right now. He's got 10 points, four rebounds on five of six shooting. That They need that. They need that. But at the same time, the offense runs through Dame. And yeah. what I've noticed is that they've been struggling when C.J. McCollum tries to take over and C.J. McCollum tries to create his own shot. I personally think that is just a sin of all sins. If you have Damian Lillard on the floor, let Damian Lillard facilitate the offense, let Damian Lillard get you a spot-up shot, or C.J., you take that ISO if there's six seconds left on the clock and you, you don't really have anything else to do. But taking these quick like four or five seconds into the shot clock, three-pointers, it's not going to win you guys the game. And at this point, you guys are down 2-1. It's not looking good right now. You guys are going to be down 3-1. And the Blazers were the hype when Damian Lillard was going crazy, and now all of that is gone. Yeah, I see CJ. He probably would be a lot better served in like a Clay Thompson role. You know what I mean? You don't see Clay Thompson – trying to generate his shot off the dribble. Now he can, and he can actually catch it sometimes down in mid post and actually have a little turnaround, which I think is missing from the Blazers game. It's either inside to Nurkic or it's out in the perimeter with Dame and CJ. That was the only guy who's going to do that, that post up turnaround what they, what they have in in the mid. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got, you got mellow that, that can hit that mid range. And when he's, when he's cooking, the Blazers look really good because it gives them more, 
uh, diversity on offense. Otherwise, you just clog the paint, push everybody outside, and we see shooters shoot, but shooters also get streaky. But uh, don't count them out. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't count them out, though, in this game. It's hey, not know, over. It's a long way to go. Though? You know who doesn't miss, though? No, <laughs> you know I got to talk about him. Luka Doncic, baby. Lord oh, Luka. The Lord Luka. I mean, Luka. Wait. Oh, what did they say? They they mixed Ludacris and Luka. I can't do it right now, but that's pretty funny. Um, but that kid, we'll talk a little bit about this later, but I believe he's already the face of the NBA. Um, he's averaging 31.5 points, 10.5 rebounds, and 9.8 assists. I will go ahead and give him the triple-double there. And he is also, I mean, you could argue Giannis as being the best player right now, but I'm going to have to go with Luca on the team that he has with what he's been doing at the age that he is. He's the best player in the league right now. And that Mavs Clippers series might be maybe second to the Rockets in OKC, but the funnest uh, series to watch on TV right now. You know what? Why don't we just go into that series? Because, I'm honestly done talking about the Lakers. <laughs> I'm done talking about the Lakers too, man. They have just been not exciting. No. So Clips Mavs tied up at two and two. Luca, as you as you mentioned, has been balling. Can I just say, can we retire this playoff P nickname <laughs> for Paul George? Game one, Paul George, PG three is nice is or PG thirteen is nicer because you know you gotta have a little parental advisory when you're watching his game sometimes. And he terrible. had twenty 27, 2, and 3 was a stat line in game one. Since then, game two, 14, 10, and 2. Three was 11, 9, and 7. And then most recently in game four, 9, 8, and 3. That what? is not – Yeah, that's what not superstar that you know averages 15, 7, and 4 and gives themselves the nickname Playoff P? I mean, yeah. this is laughable at this, at this point. It's just pathetic. It should be Pathetic P. <laughs> Georgie Porgy. It's just been he's been absolutely gone and Kawhi has been doing everything and Lou Williams has been pulling up or taking over his spot basically averaging 20 points a game but I'm gonna let you know right now the Clippers are not gonna win either so nope. the Mavericks look like the better team they the Mavericks the team as a team have been playing fantastic. Like we said, Luca averaging a 30-point triple-double. Porzingis is averaging 24-9. and nine. And Hardaway Jr., whoa, averaging basically 20 points a game, five rebounds and two assists. That's amazing. And especially when you're talking about a team that they do have stars. But yeah. you're going to need, with, when they're, with their uh, youth, they're going to need a deep team. And Hardaway has been playing great. Curry. 16 and a half points a game and and uh and burke's been going crazy too with 13 points yeah. a game that is going to beat the clippers if they yep. continue with that depth with everybody scoring i do not see the clippers coming out of this series in seven yeah i don't either and it's putting way too much on Kawhi's shoulders you know Kawhi has always had pieces around him that he could rely on and you know, if I'm Doc Rivers, I can't have Kawhi locking down on defense because I need his offense mm -hmm. because you're not getting it from uh, Paul George. So you, you're going to need that, I think, in order to, to move on from this series. But, yeah, I like what you said. The Mavs team has been playing team basketball. 
And, you know, you, Seth Curry, I mean, I don't know if it's the beard, if it's the hair, if it's the COVID thing he's got going on, the headband Ooh. Curry, because he's looking, he's actually looking pretty good. And he brought some good. attitude and fire to the last game where he's talking trash and he's, he's out there hustling and balling hard. Yeah, Curry, uh, Seth Curry has always been a better defender than Steph Curry. And that's always been his one up on his brother. But you can't take anything away from his shooting right now when he's averaging 16 and a half points a game. You know, it's, it's in the Curry blood. They can all shoot. And we've seen Seth be able to shoot before. And, you know, I got to actually give Steph credit in why Seth's defense is so good. Because if you got to go up in the driveway against Steph Curry, you got to come with some defense, bro. Like, you know, it's that little brother syndrome where I got to have some more dog in me because my older brother is bringing it all the time. And, you know, I just love the entire Curry family. I actually liked watching Dell when I was a kid and watching his career. And it's just great to see young Curry coming up with some big moments and big shots and kind of just bringing that dog that I think the Mavs need because they need some of that fight in order for them to get through this series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and Luka Doncic is not necessarily a Jimmy Butler. He's not no. going to be coming out and be talking trash to the other team and doing all this and all that. So some players need that to really get them going. But I think right now the Mavs as a team are definitely backing Luka. And you got to ride that train as far as it goes. And right now that train is looking like it won't be stopped. So, But I think we should definitely uh, bring up the Rockets and OKC because it was a big game today, real big game today. And, uh, yeah, go ahead, Stephen. Before we move on, though, because you just mentioned trash talk and Luca, we can't mm -hmm. forget what happened. Yeah. With yeah. Montrez Harrell and Luka Doncic and some questionable remarks that Montrez made going down the court. And then it kind of carried on later in the game where it looked like Montrez might have flopped going after Luca. At least Luca turned around and told him to stop flopping because Luca got called for a foul. But I will say in the next game, Montrez went up to Luca hand out, apologize, and did the man thing to do. And, you know, you get caught up in the moment in professional sports. You say some things that maybe you don't mean deep down. You just – you're caught up in the moment. And I like to see that because I was kind of – and just this day and age, when you bring up someone's race and what they look like when you're trash talking, it just – it carries different weight than what it might have used to carry. And we don't need to get into exactly what he said. But I'm glad that Harold came up and apologize and him and Luca are good because that's good for the sport too because it sets a good example that when you take responsibility for what you do and what you say on the court it just it looks good and it looks good for the league and the league I don't think needed to step in it needed to be handled amongst themselves 100% and I think I think you hit it right on the mark there and especially in the NBA where there's a large portion of the league that is African-American and this was not good words to a white male and it was also about the white race and that can be a big issue and and honestly it could be way bigger than it could have been but I think that he did such a great job in just ending it right there Luca did a great job with not uh keeping it going you know this is the the sport is so much bigger than that and there are so many other things going on that we don't need to turn our focus to somebody being called a punk white boy or whatever because that yeah. happens all the time and yeah. let's be honest it's not the end of the freaking world okay no. but there are people dying 
and it is the end of the world for them. And that's what the focus should be on. So I'm really glad that it was not just a big hiatus. It was not a good thing, not a good thing for Montrez Harrell to say at all, but he did a good job being a man, realizing what he said was wrong and apologizing. Yeah. But, uh, Houston, OKC, maybe a little bit of uh, revenge games for CP3 against his old team that kind of did him dirty, huh? I, that has been one of the more fun series to watch because OKC kind of got written off after going, yeah. going to, uh, losing the first two games. They're putting up stats. They're like, oh, we'll just have Russell sit as long as they can. And then the last two games, OKC has come around to one. So should you be sitting Russell Westbrook for as long as you can? Probably not, because it looks like you might not even make it through the next couple games. So with CP3, Shy, Gilgis, Alexander, I mean, who else? We got, we got uh, Gallinari's been going crazy, 20 yeah. point, 22 points a game. He actually leads the team. And Schroeder's been doing work off the bench. And Steven Adams is one of the better big men in the league, and he's going to do what he's going to do, and he has been playing very well. But somebody else needs to step up for the Rockets, and that's going to be Westbrook. But I just don't, I just don't believe in the Rockets at this point. You got, I mean, Jeff Green's been going crazy for him, and I'll give him that. That that came out of nowhere, and he's yeah. been averaging twenty point six rebounds, two assists. But Eric Gordon's been playing well. You kind of expect that. Uh, but you really need Russell Westbrook back for the Rockets to be able to do anything. Yeah, and, you know, you mentioned uh, Dennis Schroeder. He's a beast. Like, he's, I think he's one of the more unsung, talented people in the league. And to have him coming off the bench as a sixth man is just vicious because he brings so much energy and speed to the court. And he can facilitate an offense, and he can also run off the ball. He could take it and attack the rim. Like, he is, you know, a really, really good piece for OKC. And I think there's a big part for them uh, in giving them energy off the bench. But, you know, I, I didn't like Russell Westbrook going to Houston because I just – two ball-dominant people and him and Harden just didn't make sense from a scheme standpoint. Now, they're here in the playoffs. You know, it is what it is. But I don't really know, like, how far they can go. Can they really make some noise? Can they actually contend for a championship? Because right now I don't see it. No. No, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Russell Westbrook is not a winner. He, he, he won't win a championship unless he's on a team with, like, three MVPs. I just – the way that he plays this game is so ball dominant, and he's not an efficient player. It's just not winning basketball. And you could almost say the same for Harden. Yes, he could be the top offensive player in the league, maybe Kevin Durant. They might fight for that. But at the same time, that's really all he does. He mm -hmm. facilitates the ball a lot better. I will give him that. He was not a facilitator, but he has been doing that at an extraordinary level, especially for somebody who was definitely not a pass-first guy. But as, as far as – I just don't ever – see a team with Russell Westbrook winning a championship the way that he plays. And then you add another ball dominant player like James Harden. And it just, it just doesn't make sense. Now I will give them this. These playoffs are unlike anything. So anything can happen. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm sticking by it. I don't think they're winning. And I don't no. think Westbrook will ever have a championship. There's not, an, 
there's not enough time on a 24 second clock in a half court offense for them. You know no, what I mean? It's because no, they both need to dribble for 16 seconds. That just doesn't, the math doesn't add up. You know what I mean? But um, there's a, there's another series that happened and their coach got coach of the year. And this team was my team to come out of the East. And that's the Raptors over the nets. Now, Nick nurse, like we we've said already on previous shows, Nick nurse is that guy to be coaching this team. And I picked the Raptors to actually win it all this year. They were my picks. So they're off to a great start as far as that goes. Uh, yeah. Okay. But we got to talk about who they're playing, which yeah. is like a G league team at this point. The nets are not what they're going to be next year. And no. they're not even what they were to come into the season. They don't have Kyrie. They don't have Dinwiddie. They don't have Kevin Durant. Um, so the Nets are, are bad. They are bad. Yeah. Karis LeVert is their only good player. And if that says something, or you guys probably out there don't even know who he is unless you watch a lot of basketball. <laughs> so that says something about how talented the Nets are right now. But at the same time, I'm not going to take away from Nick Nurse. He is the best coach in the league right now, maybe second to Popovich. But that's also because Popovich is, is Popovich. And for yeah. Nick Nurse, we talked about it in a couple episodes earlier on Cutthroat Soup that he should win the coach of the year. And he ended up doing that. So maybe we are fortune tellers. <laughs> you know, we seem to hit a few things right on the head. Uh, <laughs> uh, one thing we didn't hit on the head was Celtics 76ers. 76ers got swept and this could have ramifications in the Eastern conference going into next season because Embiid's not happy. Simmons is not happy. It looks like the process might be done and over. Oh, Oh, the, the process is not trusted anymore. And I'll mm. let you know right now because they fired Brett Brown who yep. was part of the process. So after seven years of that process, they have given up on him and I would too after watching what just unfolded, which was disgusting basketball. You're high, other than nobody had more than four assists on that team. It was Tobias Harris. <laughs> yeah. Shake Milton is your point guard averaging two assists a game. And if your star player is the center, who's not a facilitator, he's not a Jokic, he's not going to move the ball around like that. It doesn't work. It does nope. not work. And I see a lot of people putting the blame on Embiid, like Bonte Hill, and I'll call you out right now. Bonte, Embiid is not the issue. And, yes, maybe he needs to take a little bit of uh, credit for, not, for them not doing very well. But at the same time, you can't take credit away when your number one facilitator gets hurt right before the series and nobody else can put the ball in anyone else's hands more than four times a game. That is ridiculous. Yeah, you know, it, this league and the way that it is now, it's all about spacing and it's all about ball movement. And when you have kind of a throwback style play, if a, a team like the 76ers where the big man is your guy, you have to be able to have spacing on the floor to give him room to work. And you have to be able to get the ball into him at the post. You know, assists are actually what will win you championships. Now we saw it with the Warriors. The Warriors' fantastic run. They were leading the league in assists. That's just how they got, got it done. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head with that. 76ers were not moving the ball at all. And the offense would get stuck in the half court. And it just did not look pretty. And, you know, the Celtics, the Celtics are the Celtics. Celtics got a lot of talent. So, you know, they deserve to be, you know, towards the top of the Eastern Conference. But, you know, 
they they just made the 76ers look silly. Yeah, they did. They made they made Brett Brown look silly and now he's fired. So yep. but at the same time a lot of people are talking about Embiid to the Dubs. I don't see it happening. I no. we can't pick up his contract unless we do some wild trade with the second pick, maybe Draymond, Pascal and another first. Maybe we get him, but at the same time Dubs fans don't be expecting him beating our lineup. He he does have just one more year left on his contract though, which we've seen teams with one year left of control not want to lose him and let him walk for nothing. So be a little bit more willing to deal. Um, uh, you know, he's kind of a I don't know if he'd really fit in the chemistry of the Warriors. I mean, I like his his skill set. I like his game. I like it. He's a big that's got skills and handles you know, which we don't see too often anymore in today's NBA. But I just – I don't really see it, you I know, him making a – being a fit. When you can draft James Wiseman. So I think we yeah. should definitely get into that, which is the number two pick, which we could technically package for Embiid in some way. But I like the Warriors taking Wiseman after the Wolves take Edwards or Melo um, to go along with D'Lo and Cat. And that's the nice thing is you know that the Wolves are not going to get James Wiseman. They already have Carl Anthony Town if they do that. But at the same time, you can't predict the Wolves. They no. make terrible picks. So yes. we could see another one. Um, and the Warriors have a history of drafting very, very well after the Wolves, a.k.a. Steph freaking Curry. Not saying <laughs> that James Wiseman is going to be Steph Curry. But I think James Wiseman could be a great player, and he reminds me a lot of Kevin Garnett. I'm really sad that we didn't get enough uh, to watch of him because of his injury, and then he decided to just sit out and prep for the draft. But what do you think about our second pick, Steven? You know, um, I actually called into 95-7 the game the other day, and the two following callers both gave me shots out for my, my takes and my pick because – I actually think a lot of people are undervaluing Anthony Wig or, uh, Wiggins. And uh, I think Wiggins has a lot more to offer in the Warriors system and could, could pose a three-headed monster with Steph and Clay, And even Dre, if you hold on to Dre. But the more I – even though I, I'm a big Draymond Green guy, I almost think his welcome is starting to get a little wore out in Golden State. And we've seen some dust-ups between him and Kerr like in public and it's been minor, but that kind of makes you wonder what happens behind the scenes because Kerr is a very tight lipped person and he doesn't let a lot of the locker room get out into the public. And I actually was thinking now stick with me here because it's a little bit wild, but I would like to trade back our second uh, pick and I would like to maybe back into the teens and maybe get uh, just another asset, somebody with a little bit more experience in the league. So somebody that's picking, you know, in the early teens, maybe even late, because there's going to be some, some talent that can be had a little bit later than in the early first round. Package that to get a piece back. And then I would like to take Draymond and our T-Wolves protected first round pick for next year. And then trade it to Utah for Rudy Gobert. Gobert. I, like I that think that would be great. I, I think it would be a great guy. fit. Yeah. Especially with how Rudy Gobert has been playing with the Jazz and running the floor finally. So I think he would do a great job with Golden State, and I like that a lot. I don't necessarily like the fact that you're talking about Draymond Green uh, 
losing his welcome because I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. I think we accept Draymond for how he is, and he's yeah. tough, and he's rash, and he's bold, but he's our Draymond. So I think he's our guy, and we're going to stick with him, man. We're going to stick yeah. with Draymond. I can package him for somebody. Rudy Gobert would not be a bad option. No. And the, the thing that – I mean, because I'm, I'm a big Draymond guy too, and it, it really does kind of hurt me to be saying this, but – I just his contract is huge, and I don't know if he can still play at the level that he had been playing at when he got the contract. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily think you're wrong. He showed that he struggles mightily without Clay and Steph. So we'll see how he bounces back this next season. Yeah. All right, that's gonna do it for our NBA segment of the show. As I mentioned, we've got a very special guest coming up, and that is our good friend Saad Balazi. Right after this. We're back here at the Cutthroat Soup Show on the Dream Team Barrier Podcast Network. We're going to be talking a little Major League Baseball, specifically here in the Bay Area, as both of our teams are on fire. But first, let me introduce a good friend of the show, our good friend, our old classmate, somebody I used to broadcast softball and baseball games with over there for the Solano College Sports Network, Saad Balazi. Welcome to the Cutthroat Soup. Hey, guys. I'm so excited. Yeah, well, welcome. Let's uh, jump right into a little bit of, well, first, we're going to talk about the first place, and that's the first place A's in the AL West. So, Andy, I'll go ahead, since you're our resident A's fan, and kind of get your thoughts on the A's. Man, how could I be feeling shitty about this season? I couldn't. I couldn't in any way, honestly. The A's have been playing fantastic baseball. We're 20-9. and nine. We're down by one run against the Texas Rangers, but you guys know how we do in the ninth inning, especially you two. Um, so <laughs> you count us out. Uh, that was a fun okay. Little, that was not that okay. was a fun little jab. We'll, we'll have a couple more, but uh, the A's bats have been just so interesting. I mean, when we hit home runs, we put up a lot of runs, but when we don't, we don't necessarily win. So that's been one thing that's been an issue for the A's for a couple of years now. But as far as everybody's been playing, we've been doing pretty well. But I would say that our situational hitting does need to be better. And we are leaving guys in scoring position way, way, way too often. And if we don't hit a home run, we're not getting those guys around. So that's been really bothering me. Also, starting pitching keeps getting worse. I mean, Mike Fires has been terrible. Sean Manaya has been terrible. So – Lazardo has been pretty good, and he's young, and we're expecting up and ups and downs there. But Chris Bassett, once again, going crazy still. So he's been doing great. Our bullpen has been great. Our relief pitching has been fantastic. Closer, Liam Hendricks, wonderful. A's, wonderful. First place, 29, 11. <laughs> so, so I, now, you and I, we're both fans of the other side of the bay. And I know you were paying attention to the A's getting stomped in two of those games versus the Giants, so the Giants' bullpen gave it up. Oh. But other than that, other than that, what have you seen from the A's? Honestly, excitement. I feel like the A's, no matter 
who's on the team, I just see excitement. I see players who are willing to play, willing to grind, like Andy was saying. Like, look at look at the Giants. Like you said, they they were stomping. Yes, Andrew, stomping on the <laughs> A's, and and of course the Giants bullpen blew it. But what really just like shook me today was let me look at the standings, and I saw that the A's were in first place. Not surprised. But they're number one in the league in, in wins. They're 20. They have 20 wins. The next team are the Twins, which is shocking, but that's a different topic. But I just – I'm just so excited to see this. I'm just worried about the playoffs because you know how the A's, they're not really reliable in the playoffs. No offense, Andy. But, you know, I really – I'm really rooting for them. Yeah. I, yeah, you know what? And I am too because – it's just the A's have always been such a good story over these past couple of seasons. And I would like to see them make some noise in the playoffs because if they're another one and done or they're out in the first round this year, that's just going to be heartbreaking to me, you know, but Andy, you hit it on yeah. the, on the head with starting pitching because, you know, we talked about in previous shows that we were worried about the A's getting off to a slow start, which they tend to do in seasons past, but now they're just getting off the slow starts in games but their bats and their bullpen will get them right back into it. So what do you think the, the A's can do, Andy, to fix that problem? Well, first off, I don't necessarily think Frankie Montas is going to be struggling much longer. I think he just had a couple bad games. So once yeah. we can get him to come back around, we have three solid uh, starting pitchers in Bassett, Montas, and Lizardo. Fires is a good pitcher. He will come around. He's just struggling right now. Sean Manaya is a good pitcher, but I am less confident in Sean Manaya than I ever have been in my entire life. I think he's just been just horrible, like just so bad. You expect Sean Manaya, he will pitch four wonderful innings, just absolutely impeccable. And then you know, fifth inning comes along, he's given up four plus runs. And it's just like clockwork every single freaking game. And I know my A's fans out there are so frustrated with Sean Mania. Yeah, I know. I can, I can see that frustration because he, he does have good moments where, you know, he is hitting his spots. Uh, his locations of his pitches are good. But coming around that third time through the lineup, he's just starting to struggle. And the analytics, which so odd. You know something about analytics and how I feel about analytics and how I can't stand them. <laughs> but what do you think about maybe – Starting pitching for the A's, maybe getting a little bit of a shorter leash. I mean, you you mentioned it. It's the third time around. And for, for a lot of guys, that's the toughest, toughest thing is when you see a lineup the first time, the first couple of innings, it's not easy peasy, but it's better. You know, you, you can attack the strike zone more. You can you can make the strike zone what you want it to be, essentially, like what Manaya has been doing, Montez has been like, you know, doing. But I feel like it's just tough the second and third round or third go around and bullpen. When you know your bullpen is inconsistent, when you know, like you can't really trust your bullpen to hand it off or you can't trust your bullpen to close the deal, I guess yeah. for you. Like it, it puts more pressure toward you. If that makes any sense. No, absolutely. Because I think we've seen other teams have bullpen struggles, uh, you know, including the giants, uh, especially as a late, now, early in the season, the Giants' bullpen was actually pretty spot on. I think they had uh, a league-leading scoreless inning streak there for a few games. Uh, but we've seen that fall apart. Um, but, you know, Andy, any final thoughts about the A's before we go over to the hottest team in the west side of the Bay Area anyway, the San Francisco <laughs> Giants? 
I mean, hottest team is a hot topic and a hot debate. So <laughs> talk about that. But they have been playing well. I'll give, I'll give the Giants that. But like I've been saying, the grass is still greener in Oakland, and there's nothing to be too afraid about. Like I said, Montas is going to come around. The A's starting pitching will figure it out. And I also think the A's hitting is just going to get better. So Chris Davis is still not hitting very well. Um, Simeon, not hitting very well. Olsen, if it's not a home run, not really hitting at all. So there's a lot of improvements, a lot of improvements for Oakland. And they're 20 and 9. So I think it's you cannot be upset if you're an A's fan. No, not at all. And speaking of grass in Oakland, something that they're not going to be able to say that they used to be able to say in previous years, they don't have to change the field around for any Sunday games because that what I forget the name of the team, but they left. So the A's <laughs> don't even have to worry about that anymore. Shall not be mentioned. Not I'm going to miss those lines though. I, I I'm going to miss turning on the game and seeing the 20 yard line. Like that's, <laughs> <I'm gonna stop. laughs> yeah. well, uh, let's go ahead over to the orange and black. Very <laughs> fitting. Um, I got fitted for an orange and black cast today on my ankle. I'm wearing my orange and black stay woke shirt because the Giants are going streaking. They are doing their best Will Ferrell impression and are six games in a row now. And what's more impressive about that is their run production. So through those six games, they have outscored their opponent 42 to 13. This is a Giants team that everybody has written off for dead for seasons now. And I'm not saying they're winning the World Series, but they've definitely made baseball a lot more interesting here uh, for Giants fans. So, uh, so what have you seen this past week? Listen, you said you don't think they – you're not saying they're going to win the World Series, but what year is it? It's 2020. It's an <laughs> even year. Even year. <laughs> um, what I've seen with the Giants, I'm going to say at least as of late, is like you said, they've just been a little bit more consistent. They've won six games in a row. I just – I feel like they play, they're playing with more passion underneath them. Unfortunately, Hunter Pence is no longer on the team. But yeah. what I've been seeing is like a lot of, a lot of just like, you, like I said, passion. Like players like Hunter Pence, just they're not really consist, um, contributing on the field. They're still dugout talk and whatnot. But I got to talk about Yastrzemski for a real hot minute real quick. He's number one yep. in extra base hits in the league. Mind you, these are all yep. league numbers. Okay. This is AL and NL. He's number two in runs. And he's fourth in RBI. Like, and he hit, a, he hit what, the go-ahead home run on his grandfather. And who's his yeah. grandfather, Steven? I no, forgot. his birthday. His 30th birthday yesterday. Oh, his, yeah. But he also it, hit, I, I believe he did hit a go-ahead, or he did something on his grandfather's birthday. And yeah. I, I was like, this is iconic. <laughs> it was. So uh, the Giants won yesterday. Uh, there were a few home runs. One of them was from Yaz. It was his seventh of the season. That puts, mm-hmm. his, it puts him in a, in a tie in the team with Wilmer Flores, uh, just a young bat that nobody expected to take off this year. They both got seven dingers. Yaz turns 30. As you mentioned, Hunter Pence was DFA'd. Uh, Pence was hitting 093. And it looked like we might see him start to get moving a little bit. But as you mentioned, in the clubhouse, Pence was just that guy. And he's been that guy since he's ever been a giant. And Yaz, in his postgame interview yesterday, because they want to talk to him about his home run and his birthday, 
made a point to bring up the absence of him in the clubhouse after the game and how they're on a six-game win streak. They won the game. It's Yaz's birthday, but how there was just a somber feeling in the clubhouse because, you know, this veteran leader and, you know, this good energy guy was no longer going to be with the team. But uh, the Giants did call somebody up last Thursday, so odd. Who was it? Listen, you're going to have to tell me that part, okay? Because I've been a little hectic. On... Steven, listen, I've, it's been a little crazy <laughs> with the pandemic in school, oh. so you have to remind me. I forget your It wasn't in a catcher, was it? Joey Bart. I knew it. Joey. I knew it. It was Joey. <laughs> Joseph Bart is here. The train hath arrived. And in his first game, his first at-bat, he gets hit in the freaking foot. <laughs> so, it, you know, a little My bit of a rough start. so mad about that. Like, he called yes. me mad. And I was just like, okay, let's, let's calm down. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did, however, in that same game, get his first major league knock. It was a double. And what everybody is talking about is the velocity of which it came off the bat. 110 miles an hour. That puts him at the second hardest ball hit on the team in his <laughs> first game up in the bigs. Uh, so do we really care. That's the thing. I also want to talk this real quick. I mean, this is nothing against you, but why do we care? Why is that every single hit now, I get the exit velocity. I have Ken Korak telling me. It's just like, I really don't care. It was a hit. Yeah. It was not a hit. It was a home run. It went out the it went out the park. It didn't like it just doesn't matter. Well, the reason why it matters, young Andy, and I'll let you know, <laughs> is because it has to do with bat speed, it has to do with your mechanics, and it has to do with your ability to hit the ball and square it up. The more often you square it up, the better you're gonna hit and the more possibility you have of hitting it out the park and that's why it matters the exit velocity and how hard you're hitting the ball because you can hit it hard right at somebody but eventually that ball is going to fall because of how you're hitting and it just means he's seeing the ball he was seeing major league pitching for the first time in a regular season game and he looked good so bart so far is hitting 333 with three doubles and he one of those doubles was about a few inches short of a home run so in his first weekend in the bigs it does kind of matter the way he's striking the ball. No, Steven, keep keep dragging Andy because he just sounds bitter. It's funny how us Giants fans can be cool <laughs> about the A's and respect the A's, but A's fans like Andy can't this do the same. No, this is not about A's Giants. This is about every freaking baseball game I watch. Every ball hit, I get the exit velocity. I do not care. You know what? I do not care. I really don't. I'm sorry. That's how, that's how I feel about Stanton. Every time they tell me he hits a home run, I don't care if it's a million miles. I don't care if it hits the moon. I don't care. So you know what? Maybe we're on the same page. <laughs> I feel that way about Manny Machado. Okay, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? The Giants are 14 and 16. They're, uh, they're a half game out of the eighth spot, which because of expanded playoffs – uh, if they get that eighth spot, they're in, which nobody would have expected 30 games ago. But I just want to go over some quick numbers for these young guns that are in the box for the Giants. You got Donnie Bats, a.k.a. Donovan Solano, hitting 363. We've already talked about Yaz. He's hitting 309. Wilmer Flores at 306. Austin Slater's on the 10-day DL, but he's hitting 347. Mm -hmm. Austin Slater mm -hmm. hitting 347. So that was kind of an unexpected piece of offense. But mm -hmm. the, the Giants as a team are hitting 255. They're first in hits in the NL. They're third in runs. 
their third and doubles, second and triples. And the San Francisco freaking Giants are fourth in the NL in home runs with a total of 38 for the team. What is going on? 2020 has just been crazy. I just want to touch on Austin Slater real quick. Don't disrespect him. Tell everyone that he is tied for stolen bases in the league, okay? Yes. Austin yes. Slater of old people. Super, <laughs> super speed Slater does get around the bags pretty good, uh, which yeah. is just – it's. we knew Slater last year. We saw him up with the club. We know he's got some talent, but what he's been able to do this year in this uh, COVID-shortened season has been pretty impressive. But I know – I know – I know we're boring Andy with all this Giants talk and gushing over just a six game win streak and they're not the A's and yeah, we get it. 16. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, let's, (laughs) let's go ahead. Let's talk a little Niners. Uh, Camp infirmary is kind of what has been going on down in Santa Clara and it just hasn't been looking like they're off to a great start. Now we've seen them do this before. We've seen injuries plague their camps and players come back, but Andy, Niners, what have you seen so far? I mean, if you're talking 49ers injuries, we had a first start with D Ford. He's always injured, 100% of the time. <laughs> pro- I'm hoping it's not going to be that way during, during the year, but who freaking knows? Ayuk, he's got a hamstring injury. It's not going to be anything too serious, but it does suck not seeing him get a better relationship with Jimmy. So that's going to keep him off the field. Debo Samuel being out is definitely a big loss for the Niners, but it's nice to see Jimmy Garoppolo find a new target in Brandon Ayuk. Um, we're missing Kwan Williams for a couple more weeks. Dwelly's out with the foot injury, but we're finally seeing Jordan Reed, which is really exciting, or exciting for us 49er fans. Kittle and Reed is going to have the – they're going to be the dynamic duo at, at tight end, hopefully for multiple years to come. But who knows with the one-year contract that Reed has. But Jalen Hurd getting hurt again is just devastating for the 49ers. And that's the one big thing – or the one of the big things. The next I want to talk about is Trent Williams and Nick freaking Bosa. Trent Williams is saying that Nick Bosa is already top three, if not the best defensive lineman in the league – now, Trent Williams is no scrub. Seven-time Pro Bowler. Last uh, full year he played was in 2018. He had 491 pass-blocking snaps and gave up one sack. And if that dude is telling you that, A, he already figured he was going to be a top player, now he's going up against him every day in practice and is saying he's the best, that's a dude saying that he's the best and he's the best. That means he's the best. Yeah. No, absolutely. And – you know, uh, Kyle Shanahan did say Debo is not ruled out for week one, so he could come back. Um, Julian Taylor's on the PUP list. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, as you mentioned, lambs- uh, ha- lambstring. <laughs> hamstring. Uh, <laughs> Weston Richburg, which is a big piece on that O-line, is on the PUP list. Uh, Richie James Jr., broken hand. Um, at, you know, Brandon Ayuk will come back. You know, just so I, we kind of see this every year with the Niners, it seems like in training camp, but then they seem to kind of get their feet back underneath them for week one. But without uh, preseason this year, how do you think that's going to affect the Niners? I mean, I was going to say what you said, basically, you can say this about a lot of teams like preseason doubts, I guess you can call them. But I feel like without the preseason, the Niners are still going to be fine. They just uh, extended George Kettle or Greg, what's his? 
George Kittle. I don't know why I put Gregory. I'm <laughs> George Kittle, excuse me. Yeah, Gregory. Um, they just extended him. Like, they're going to be fine. However, this projection that people think that they're going to go 9-7, and seven, I just don't see that for the Niners. Like, Andy, the excitement from Andy, I just don't see that. No, not at all. And we, we, we talked predictions before. Uh, I got him at 12 wins. Uh, Andy, I think you said around 10 or 11. I had him at 11. Yeah. So, and you, you touched on it. So, uh, the Kittle contract, Kittle Watch, as we were calling <laughs> it in the Twitter streets, uh, the, Kittle, the Kittle got his contract, $5 million, excuse me, $5 million, five years at $75 million, signing bonus of $18 million, total guarantees of forty. Uh, he will be an unrestricted free agent in 2026. To put this in perspective, in 2019, Kittle made $2.133 million. And when he signed with the Niners, he got a $74,574 signing bonus. Andy, Kittle Watch, it's over. <laughs> it's over. And we called it. We called it last show weeks ago. We said the Niners are sitting back laughing at all this BS about George Kittle's contract not being close. They had it done. They were yeah. having a great time. George Kittle knew they had it done, <laughs> especially when you have an entire fan base, which I've never seen this before, come together and force an organization to pay for a player. That shows you exactly how special George Kittle is. And he is, one, he is the greatest tight end I've ever seen play. I've seen some good ones, Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates. But George Kittle does everything perfect, blocking, catching. You can't tackle him. So he also he you can use him as a running back. He's like six five, two forty. Who's gonna stop him? Nobody. And he's in Listen, great shape. If, oh, Go sorry. Ahead. I just wanted to say if The Rock tweets at you, that's all. That's it. Dwayne Johnson tweeted at him. Can he has the hype with him? everyone. Like you know what I mean? Like Andy was saying, not only is he like the you know greatest tight end, but he's such a weirdo, but in like the best way possible. Like, I was talking to my, yeah, I was talking to my dad, um, talking to my dad about him and he just could not stop talking about how weird and goofy and crazy he is. But like, he just brings that to the Niners. And that's why I'm not worried about the Niners. Not at all. And, you know, uh, Chris Bitterman over at the Sacramento Bee wrote a great article last year about Kittle and about just the type of person that he is. And there's an awesome quote in there. And I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it here in front of me. But essentially, Kittle says, he loves to be able to pick a guy up and move him from point A to point B against his will. And there's nothing more satisfying than that. And Kittle was on 95.7 right after he signed this deal. And the morning show surprised him with a guest caller. And it was Ric Flair, one of George <laughs> Kittle's idols. Because we all know Kittle is a huge professional wrestling fan. And Ric Flair got on. They had a woo off and it was fantastic radio and so shout out to 95.7 for that gem uh the biggest takeaway for me from that was rick flair gave him a bit of advice and said don't get married she'll get half yeah. in california oh my god wow okay radio woo. gold <laughs> <laughs> so i'd i I'd like to say it's been a pleasure having you on. It's been too long since I've seen you since our Solano college mm -hmm. days out there in Fairfield. And it's been a pleasure. Uh, you'll have to come back and visit us again soon. Uh, thank you guys for having me. You guys are doing great work over here and it makes me excited 
to know that this is where I want to be with you guys. Thank you for coming on. Um, I'm not necessarily on the same boat. I'm not sure if I always want to be with you and your Giants takes. Okay, but I did enjoy having you on the show today, and it's all fun. And, <laughs> and I do love working with you so much. All right, as we close out the show here, I wanted to close out on a little bit more of a serious note. Now, those of you out there that are fans of the TDT Bay Area podcast over on Spotify know that we've spoken out a fair amount on social justice, social inequality, of the Black Lives Matter movement, and we've done an entire show on it. If you did miss it, go back and check it out. But change is starting to happen, and it might be slow, but it is starting. And I want to kind of highlight change here locally in the Bay Area, specifically here in Vallejo and the Vallejo City Unified School District. They're rolling out a pilot program this year for incoming freshmen into high school are now going to have to take a mandatory semester of ethnic studies. Now, we're in a series of cancel culture, and I've said before on a few different platforms that it needs to change to council culture. The only way we can affect any real change is through education and educating each other, educating our youth, for the future. Now, I want to give a quick shout out to the teachers that are uh, heading this program for Vallejo High and Jesse Bethel. Over at Vallejo, a uh, gentleman's name is Josh Porter, and over at Jesse Bethel is Jessica Lozano. Now, they're having to start this program from scratch. It's never been done before, and they're doing a fantastic job with it, helping educate our youth, because honestly, that's the only way we're going to see any real change in this country moving forward. But that's going to do it here for this episode of the Cutthroat Soup Show on the Dream Team Podcast Bay Area. For my guy, Andy, send a shout out to Shamari Block. And another big special thank you to our guest today, Soad Balazi. And I'm Bad Sorts. And we out.